All right, the green light's on, so it's good to see you all. Um, some familiar faces, some, hey, <laughs> some, uh, some uh, new faces, but uh, but yeah, it's good to see, good to see you all and be here with you. I uh, thank you very much. I have, I have watched, uh, watched as you know, um, as you guys have been faithful to the call of uh, what Jesus has uh, for City Church Garland, and I'm so excited to just to just be here with you this morning and worship with you. Thank you, Pastor Keith. Uh, thank you, uh, Kevin, for for leading us in worship. That was so so beautiful, just to set our minds and hearts on Christ. And uh, that's what we're here for. That's the only reason that we can come today free and uh, and lift him up and worship him. Isn't that awesome? All right. So, yes, uh, Pastor Keith said we're going to talk about uh, the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about uh, what it's like to cultivate kingdom realities. Um, and uh, and I think that it's important as we uh, as we are living in this day and age it really, I think this is something that the church, from the beginning of uh, when uh, beginning of in the book of Acts, this has been the task of the of the church to cultivate kingdom realities. And so I'll start off first by uh, um, by reading the scripture this morning. We're going to be in Romans 14, verse 17 through 19. You would turn with me there, Romans 14. Verse 17 through 19, and it'll be on the screen as well. And it says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Amen. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you are a good king. We're so grateful that you have called us your own. We're so grateful that you have made us your children. And uh, we are grateful that you have uh, filled us with your spirit to, uh, to be your representatives here on earth. And so as we... Um, as we look out at our own times and, and uh, have our own questions about what it looks like to be a people of God here and now, I pray that even as we meditate on your word this morning, that you would open our eyes. Um, Holy Spirit, that you would, um, you would give us wisdom and revelation as we, um, as we meditate on your word, as we meditate on your truth. So thank you. Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for this time that we can just come together and be um, be reminded of who you are and what you're doing in this world. And we say, have your way in our hearts, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right. Okay. Great. Okay. Can y'all hear me? <laughs> you can hear me. I can hear me. <laughs> I'll try not to yell now. All right. How many of you love a good feel-good movie? Anybody? Good feel-good movie. You know, one that while you're watching, you're just like, man, 
I, I just love that. One of my favorite feel-good movies is uh, Remember the Titans. Anybody remember the Titans? I remember when that first came out. Um, and unfortunately, I looked up the uh, the data when it came out. It came out in the year 2000. So <laughs> that movie is like 20 years old now. And I'm like, man, didn't that just come out like five years ago? Remember the Titans. Uh, but it's a great movie. And the, the main premise is this, right? There are, there are uh, it's back in the days when segregation is being uh, challenged in our country. Uh, but there's a, there is a school of all, uh, of all white kids and there's a school of all black kids. And, and uh, for this particular school year, they decided to integrate this school. And uh, right, off, right off the bat, you know that this is going to be a difficult situation. But... Uh, and you see throughout the movie that there are conflicts and there are um, there are disagreements, there are differences. There's there's perhaps some favoritism shown amongst the team and parents and and uh, different uh, different uh, people. But the task of the team, in the middle of all of those differences, in the middle of all of the uh, just the frustrations of coming together, the task of that team is to actually be a team, right? The task of that team is to come together, to be unified, to reach a goal. And it's on the, uh, the part of the coach to, to kind of whip them into shape. And uh, I was uh, watching uh, a little bit of uh, some of the scenes uh, as I was reminiscing about the movie. And, uh, and I love Denzel Washington's character. He, he tries his hardest to make sure that this team catches the vision for something greater. He works hard to make sure that they understand that their differences are petty compared to what they're trying to come together to do. And I think that's a good metaphor for us in the church as we have our own differences, as we have our own um, uh, maybe points of conflict in the church that that the Lord wants us to catch a vision for something greater. The Lord wants us to catch a vision for what it looks like to be unified, even in the middle of the very plain differences that we have, to pursue something that's good, to pursue something that's true, to pursue something that's, that's ultimate. And so as we read in our text this morning that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Kind of dropping down into that chapter that needs a little bit of context. In the book of Romans, where we are, we're at the end of the book of Romans. There are 16 chapters in the book of Romans, and Paul has done a masterful job of explaining who the people of God are, of explaining our plight and what God's plan is in this world. It starts off in chapter 1, saying that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God, the salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And he goes and systematically just kind of works through the first few chapters, chapters 1, 2, and 3, and he's like, look, everybody is in trouble. Everybody needs a Savior. Everybody has gone astray. There's no one who does good. Everyone needs a Savior. And that's in Jesus. And then you see in, in chapter 4 and 5 and 6, it talks about this life of faith. 
that we're all invited into, the Jews and the Gentiles have been invited into. And then in chapter 7 and 8, it talks about, okay, so, so this is the, the daily struggle. I, in chapter 7, one of, my, one of my favorite passages, Paul talks about how, how he's like, the good I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. And, and uh, you know, he says, he says uh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of death? And then the next chapter talks about Jesus being the Savior, right? In Romans 8, chapter 1, it talks about there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In, in, in chapter 8, it talks about living by faith and, and, and walking that, living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. And then in chapters 9 through 11, it talks about, okay, so, so then, I, didn't I remember hearing something about God uh, choosing the, the Jewish nation to be his people? And Paul goes through and talks about how God, in his goodness, is still working out his promises to them as well. And so we reach this, this beautiful culminating verse in chapter 12, and he says, he says, now in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And he goes to, to walk that out, with what it looks like to live in response to God's ultimate salvation plan in the church and in the world around us. And why would Paul have to talk about these differences? Why would Paul have to, to point out the Jews and the Gentiles? Well, because they were, they were in the Roman church. There were, two, there were two generally groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. And they had differences. They had some pretty uh, profound differences. And without getting into all the details, because that could take a whole other sermon, and even some people have written their own doctoral dissertations on on those things, but but without getting into the details, Paul is calling people of God, calling the people of God to be the people of God in the middle of their differences. That there's something greater, that there's something more profound, that there's something more precious than just I'm going to worship this way, and if you step on my toes, then I'm going to judge you. That there's something more going on. That the kingdom of God is what the Lord is working out in this beautiful picture, in this beautiful people called the church. And so my main point is this today, that the followers of Christ cultivate kingdom realities amongst one another. The followers of Christ cultivate kingdom realities amongst one another. You see, they were letting what could be called disputable matters distract them from what was most important. They were letting those things divide them and injure their relationships. And, we can, and, uh, and, they, and Paul was calling them beyond that. And how many of you, as you think about what's going on today in this world, have felt that pull to be divided? Even and especially in this time, there are commercials, there are uh, ads that are all about dividing. Choose this candidate over that candidate. If you think like this, then that means this about you. And there's judgment, and there's division, 
and there's fracturing being spoken. And so while it's important to have your particular uh, ideas of the way certain things, the way this country can be run, like that's one of the beautiful things about the United States is that we are allowed to, uh, to regularly cast our vote to say, hey, this is what I think. That's a good thing. And I think we as the people of God should be growing and understanding that as we, as we walk out our faith in the world around us. But we cannot let that divide us. We cannot let judgment and resentment come into our hearts when there's a brother or sister who thinks differently politically than we do. And it's so important. I mean, even if you guys are on Facebook or on social media, I, I, I'm sure as you're scrolling and you're seeing different posts, like, there's a part of my heart, there's a part of your heart, that when you see someone who says something different from you, you kind of go, hmm, okay, I didn't know they thought that. <laughs> and there's this temptation for us to kind of say, oh, well, that's them, to lump them in with them. But that's not the way that we are to interact with one another. Because Jesus, you know, says about your enemies, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So how much more should we be moving toward unity in our hearts toward our brothers and sisters? All right. So let's talk about this. The kingdom of God. I'm going to break this down. The kingdom of uh, the followers of Christ cultivate kingdom realities amongst one another. So let's talk about this. What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? So, just in general, we don't really talk too much about kingdoms uh, in this day and age. We might, like, watch a movie or read a book in that word kingdom, and you kind of have this particular idea in your mind of what a kingdom uh, looks like or feels like. Maybe it's castles, maybe it's, like, long robes and people that speak in these and thous. But really, when we're talking about kingdom, we're talking about a country, a state, or territory ruled by a king or queen. We're talking about just um, a ruler, any ruler, has this, has this king, this ultimate, his, his authority, uh, or, or queen, her authority, um, and what she says goes. And that's a kingdom. Wherever that authority is in play... Wherever the will of that king makes things change or makes things happen, that's, that's the kingdom. That's the reach of the kingdom. I'm reminded of, uh, in uh, uh, going back to, to movies, The Lion King, classic movie, nice feel-good movie, right? When at, the, at the beginning of the movie, when, when uh, Mufasa brings uh, Simba up to Pride Rock and he, and he surveys the land and he says, Everywhere the light touches, that's our kingdom. You know that I can't be James Earl Jones, but just imagine it with me real quick. And so, uh, so Simba knows that one day that's going to be his. He's going to be king everywhere the light touches. Now this time, now this, this phrase, the kingdom of God, is the only time that Paul uh, uses in the book of Romans that Paul uses this phrase, kingdom of God. Why would he choose to use it here? But Paul and his readers actually lived in a kingdom. They lived in the Roman Empire. And when he used this phrase, he was making a, a contrast with his current political climate. He was saying the kingdom of God is about 
Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. They were living in the middle of a kingdom that was about different things. The kingdom that was about power. The kingdom that was about personal glory. The kingdom that was about honor. Whatever, um, whatever you could do to, to gain honor for yourself. And so Paul, in the middle of this kingdom, says the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. They could live for the kingdom of God in the king, even in the middle of the kingdom of Rome. They could live for the kingdom of God even in the middle of the kingdom of Rome. And I think that brings us to, to, um, to our day. And what does this have to say about us? We can live for the kingdom of God in the middle of our own culture. In the middle of our own uh, day. And so there are two questions that I want to, to answer today about the kingdom of God. It's a, the kingdom of God is a, is, a, is a big theological concept, a big reality. But there are two things that I want to really focus in on today, and I think that drives what Paul describes here in this chapter. The first, where is the kingdom of God? Where is the kingdom of God? Is it up in the sky, up above, past the universe? I actually just had this question with, uh, 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 talked about this conversation with my son. And uh, he said something about, you know, when planes go up through the clouds, they go up into heaven. I'm like, well, that's all. <laughs> Where is the kingdom of God? And we certainly know that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, right? He created it from the beginning. That's how the story begins, that God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, right? That God, the, the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And God reigns the heavens and the earth, and he also reigns in the hearts and the lives of the people who submit to him. We also know that at the beginning of the story, that Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. And that sin entered the world and, and death. And so God, even in his rule, has now, uh, uh, wants to be reconciled with, with his creation. That even in that separation, that God, that God would pursue us. Kevin was talking about this uh, earlier this, this morning. That God sent his son Jesus to save us, to call us back, that we might be reconciled with him, that we might be together with him under his rule and in his reign. And so God rules also in the hearts and minds of the people who submit to him. So that's where the kingdom is located. And if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Christ, then you are living in his kingdom. And I want to encourage you to, to, to walk according to his rule, to walk according to his reign. I think one of the things that, that is most striking about 
the location of this kingdom is not just where it's moved. Uh, it's not just where it's located, but that it's moving. That there's a sense of of the kingdom of God is is moving somewhere. God's rule and reign in the hearts and minds of people is is growing. It's expanding. And you can see this in in the um, in the language of Scripture. It's tempting to think about the fulfillment of our hope in Jesus' kingly reign as kind of like an up-and-out experience. That one day, we'll be taken away forever. But the language of the Bible shows a different movement. It shows a down and in-movement of the kingdom. That God's kingdom moves toward us. Our king, even while we were still dead in our sins, or even while we were living as enemies of God, drew near to us. The movement of the kingdom of God is toward the undeserving and the weak to strengthen them and to make them whole. So when we think about the kingdom of God, now it's not just this this thing that that ultimately uh, that people uh, go to when they die. It is here. It is present. Where is the kingdom of God? It has moved toward us in the person of Jesus. The kingdom of God has moved toward us even as we have heard the news about Jesus, the gospel of the kingdom. That God is saving a people. That God is bringing a people out of the kingdom of darkness and putting them into the kingdom of his glorious light. He is, he is moving in his people by his spirit to advance his kingdom. So where is the kingdom of God? It's here. And we wait ultimately for it to be fully realized, but the kingdom of God is here. If you know Jesus, if you've experienced his, his life by his spirit, if you experience freedom from sin, the kingdom of God is here. It's in you. It's in us. As we gather today in Jesus' name, as we walk forward and proclaim the gospel, it's here. Jesus describes the kingdom in this way. I told you that the, the movement of the kingdom is down and in and not up and out. <laughs> he says this in Mark 10. Now this is after his disciples came up to him and they said, Jesus, we want you to give us something. And now <laughs> I know when my kids come up to me like, Daddy, can you give me something? A wise parent would just be like, what do you want? <laughs> right? So Jesus says, okay, what do you want? And they ask, they ask to be, uh, to sit in the right hand and the left, in his left hand. They ask to have power. They ask for something that, that Jesus is like, hey guys, it doesn't actually work that way. Let me tell you how it works. Jesus called to them and said to them, this is Mark 10, verse 42. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The God of the universe became flesh. He dwelt with us. 
And even as Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he talks about it being a seed that is planted in the ground. He talks about leaven that goes into a lump of dough and is kneaded through and expands. And in Revelation, the city of God is pictured as descending from heaven to be here, the new heavens and the new earth, to be united in this beautiful picture that sounds a lot like a marriage. And think about how Jesus taught us to pray. We even sang it this morning. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. That there is a longing and a desire of our hearts for God and his reign to come fully here. And that's what we long for. Not escape. But for God's power to come here. And we know that it's working. It's working in my heart. It's working in your heart. We can see the evidences of the kingdom of God at work here in the world today. So that next question, first, where is the kingdom of God? And when is the kingdom of God? And we've kind of we've stepped into it a little bit. When is the kingdom of God? When Jesus went around proclaiming his message. In the Gospels, what does it say Jesus preached? He said, repent. The kingdom of God is at the end of the age. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's now. The kingdom of God is now. And I like to think of it as, as this, this invasion. <laughs> that the kingdom is, is coming. And light is being shown. And darkness is being exposed. And, and as the people of God grow, as the kingdom, as the seed is growing, this plant is growing, we see the truth. We see the power of this kingdom. Especially in the contrast to the darkness. The kingdom of God is here, and the kingdom of God is now. Now, we also know that it will be ultimately fulfilled, right? Because we look out today and we're like, surely, surely there's more. And the Bible says there is more. And so we also know that there's this, there's this idea of it's here now, but it's also in the future. That there's this, there's this culminating reality that one day when Jesus comes back, Everything will be made right. Everything will be will come under his rule. It says in Philippians 3, it says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. So as we live here and now in the reality of this kingdom, that, that Jesus is our king, that Jesus rules in our hearts, that Jesus is king over the whole universe, and even in the middle of the kingdom of darkness rebelling against him, we know that ultimately, one day, he will come back and take out darkness. Forever. And we will be with him. And so that motivates us. That motivates us to live a certain way. To not be distracted by perhaps those things that are called that are calling us to be divided. The kingdom of God is here and now. Look around you today. 
This, this is the kingdom of God. The earth and all its creation and the flesh and bones and spirits of the people around you who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. These are the people of God. And the mighty King of heaven rules here. Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth, has started a good work in us, this church. And he will complete it. Amen? And we, as his followers, live in the reality of God's kingship, that God reigns now. And the church is the visible evidence of his kingdom here. So let our gatherings, let this gathering be a place where we do not live contrary to the kingdom. Let this be a church that submits to his rule and reign and cultivates and promotes his rule and reign as its ambassadors. And that's Paul's talking point. That's what points us to what he describes the kingdom as. So we come to Paul to Paul's description of the kingdom. He describes what the kingdom is like in this in this particular situation where where the Jews and Gentiles were being divided over the way that they live their lives, the things that they eat, the way that they worship. He says, "Guys, there's something greater at stake, and if you are allowing the work of God to be divided by things that you eat." You're missing the point. And he says this. That the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I think one thing that I want to say is that by nature, when we think about kingdom, we need to think about something uh, broader. We need to think more corporate. It's easy for us in our relationship with the Lord to just think about, okay, how am I doing? Am I, you know, saying no to sin? And am I trying to live in obedience? And yes, that's good. That's good. But we also have to think about um, how we are interacting with one another as we all are seeking to imitate Christ. Because we are all a part of this kingdom. And I think these words, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, it's really easy for us to turn that and just look at ourselves individually. Okay, righteousness. What does that mean for me? Peace. Okay, what does that mean for me? Joy. Okay, all right. Am I feeling those things? All right, I'm good to go. But I want to encourage you that there's something. Yes, pursue those things in your own life, but also pursue those things as a community. And that's what Paul is calling these people in the Church of Rome to do, to pursue righteousness, peace, and joy. In the Holy Spirit. You know, kingdoms have values. And they are pursued and lived out. You know, in the founding documents of the United States of America, it says that we believe that, um, that, uh, we, that everybody has these rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I think we can kind of see the way that, uh, that we've worked out and tried to... Uh, Achieve those values. Well, Paul says this. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is the values of the kingdom of God. Alright. So righteousness. Let's look at those three words. Righteousness. Righteousness. And sometimes the words like righteousness can sound really churchy. 
Um, and you grew up in the church. I grew up in the church, and I've, I've been hearing the word righteousness from when I was a child. But if someone, like, pointed at me and said, define righteousness, you know, back when I was in high school, I'd have been like, uh, right? And if you're not, if you're just coming in from, from not knowing the Lord, and he's brought you in and saved you, and then you step into the church and they're using words like righteousness, like, that doesn't really, that's not something that we use a lot. That word that we use a lot. So, so I think it's helpful sometimes to take those words and it's, they're really understandable. But just take them and break them down and understand what what uh, what the Bible means when it uses some words like this. So, for, in particular, righteousness. Righteousness. What does that mean? You can think of it as rightness. But really, when when the Bible talks about righteousness, it talks about living in right relationship with God and living in right relationship with others. Righteousness, living in right relationship with God and with others. And the only way that we can live in right relationship with God and with others is through Jesus Christ, who sets us free from our selfish desires and our sinful nature and our flesh. So the only way we can have right relationship with the Father is through Jesus Christ. And honestly, the only way we can have right relationships with others is by walking in the way of Jesus So when you think about righteousness, this is a this is a this is a dynamic and active relationship. You can't have righteousness, you can't have righteousness without interacting with God and with others. Right? You can't have a right relationship with God if you're not related to him. <laughs> and you can't have right relationship with others if you're not in community with one another. So righteousness, right? So we know also that righteousness is from it's from the heart. It's internal to external. So it's more than just like an, an external set of principles to live by. The things that we do and we don't do. And if you just figure those out, then you're, then you're good to go. But Jesus gets into the heart. And he changes our heart to really be a people who love. Who want the best for others. Who want to love God and follow his ways. It's, it's treating others the way that God treats us. And promoting that in the world around you in the name of Jesus. It's a righteousness from the heart. And Jesus talks about that in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. And then also along with that, righteousness and justice. So if you think about righteousness as right relating to God and right relating to others, then justice is the process of maintaining and establishing right relationship with one another. In the Bible, you'll see actually that righteousness and justice get, get paired a lot together. And that's because justice really is the, the righting of what's wrong in this world. So that we can live in right relationship with one another. So that we can live in right relationship with God. So God, in his goodness, in his righteousness, he, he, has, um, he has worked justice in and through Jesus. And set us right before him. And he expects his people to be about doing that in the world around them and then in the middle and in relationship with one another as well. So righteousness, right relationship with God and with others. So the kingdom reality is this, the first word, righteousness. How do we relate to God? How do we relate with others? And I think the next one has a particular connection to righteousness. It's this word peace. Peace. And when you think of peace, just... 
take a moment, close your eyes. Think, think of the most peaceful place that you've been. Or maybe a time of life or something. Think about how that feels. I, I imagine, I remember uh, when I was a kid and, uh, and the house that we were living in, we lived on this, uh, it had a side porch. And whenever it would rain, it was a covered porch. Whenever it would rain, we would sit down uh, as a family and just listen to the rain and feel the, the mist hit us. That it was just like, wow, this is, it seems like everything's right in the world. So what does that feel like? It felt like rest. It felt like harmony. It felt like everything as it should be. That's, that's a glimpse of, of peace. Peace. It's not just the absence of war, right? It's not just the absence of fighting. It's something, that, it's something beautiful and good. It's peace is the state of things when we live in righteousness. Peace is the state of things when we live in right relationship with God and with others. So we have peace with God, and we have peace with one another. So imagine a world and a society that operates this way, that operates in the way that God relates to us with, with, a, with, with love, that seeks the best. Imagine a world that operates uh, if we related to one, one another in that way. Wouldn't that be a peaceful world? Imagine a world where our differences didn't divide us to the point of, of, uh, of causing us to judge and resent one another. Imagine a world where, where uh, we're not divided by whether we're male or female, rich or poor, powerful or weak. That is a world of peace. And that's why the Bible calls the gospel the gospel of peace. Because there's no distinction. We all need Jesus and we all have an opportunity to follow him. To experience his salvation, to be adopted as God's children, righteousness and peace. And this next one, joy. Joy is gladness with perspective. Gladness with perspective. It doesn't mean that we're not aware of the things in this world and the things of our life that are that are that should be cause for lamenting. It should be cause for mourning. But our gladness comes from our perspective. Our gladness comes from knowing the whole story. Our gladness knows that uh, the gladness comes from knowing that Jesus Christ is the king and ultimately he will come and redeem his people and the world around us. I, um, I uh, spent some time in South Africa and uh, um, there's this uh, little girl that I met when I was there once um, and her name was Gladness. And, and I just thought she was about eight at the time. And I thought, wow, what a name to just be called gladness, right? That maybe, in, maybe as she grows older and she starts to experience the difficulties of this world and the life, 
that someone would call her name and say, hey, gladness. What, what would that do? <laughs> what would that do to somebody in the middle of their difficulty to be reminded that their name is gladness? I think similarly, when we hear these things, when, when you know, in Philippians, when Paul calls us to rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. That, that even in our sorrow, even in our difficulty, that, that doesn't mean that we, that we um, ignore it. But we walk through those trials with our eyes focused on Christ. Because we know what he's doing. In fact, Jesus gave us the example, it says in Hebrews 12, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Why did he endure the cross, scorning the shame? Because there was a joy set before him. He knew that he had a work to do, and that on the other side, that he would sit down at the right hand of the Father. And we know that Jesus felt the weight of that journey. He felt the weight of the cross, physically, spiritually, mentally. But he was able to walk through it. Because of the joy that was set before him. That's why I say gladness with perspective. You know, we have hope that we can, we can walk on a firm foundation because, and be genuinely glad because we know that God is our king, that God is our shepherd, that God is our father. It's so easy to lose sight of that story in our own lives, isn't it? And so that's why it's important that our community helps us. That's why it's important that we cultivate joy, not just in our own heart, but in the hearts of those who call us brothers and sisters. That's one of the reasons that I love worship, coming together and singing songs, like, the, like that song, Peace Be Still. It's this reminder. We're all going through difficult times. We all have gone through. We all will go through. But Jesus Christ is our rock. Jesus Christ is our firm foundation. And there's a whole bunch of people, not just in this room, but all over the world, who say, yes, Lord. Yes, bring your kingdom here. And we know that it will come. Gladness with perspective. Righteousness, peace, and joy. And there's one more phrase, in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. Thinking about righteousness, <laughs> peace, and joy, and trying to conjure that up on our own. I know that I can't do that in my own life consistently. But God has given us his spirit and given us the power of his presence working in and through us to be able to live this way consistently. And this is the work that he's doing in the church. You think about it, the Holy Spirit. If you read the book of Romans with, with lenses on looking for, uh, for the Holy Spirit, you'll see that, that it is the Holy Spirit that God pours out his love in our hearts by the Spirit yeah. to be able to endure suffering. It is by the Spirit that we put to death the desires of the sinful nature. It is by the Spirit, in chapter 8, that we cry out, Abba, Father. It is the Spirit that groans for us as we pray. And it is by the Spirit that we are able 
as a community, to walk in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is the most, this is a necessary ingredient, right? This is what the kingdom of God is about. And we must partner with God as he works it out in this world. How many of you know that God is doing this? This isn't an option. And if you call yourself a child of the king, then this is the work that you have been brought into. It is a good work. It is a powerful work. The followers of Christ must cultivate these amongst one another. And I'll move on to the last few verses here in our text this morning. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And in verse 20, that first part, it says, Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. And that's a heavy statement that Paul makes. He says, don't you see? There's something powerful and good about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And would you allow preferences and food to destroy that work? He says, pursue these. Pursue these together. Pursue these. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit together amongst one another. Call them out. Cultivate them. That's what we should be about. And I say, and I say, and, and, and what's interesting is Paul in Romans 14 doesn't actually um, tell the people to stop eating a particular thing and to start eating one thing. He doesn't, he doesn't really make that distinction. What he says is, look, in the middle of this, stop judging one another and start pursuing righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He says to the people who, who are saying, no, we can't eat that. He says, don't judge the people who have the freedom. And he says to the people who have the freedom, he says, look, use your freedom to come alongside your brothers and sisters and build them up in Christ. Pursue what, what brings peace, what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. <laughs> Think about it this way. Talking to the people who are free. I think Paul, uh, this, this analogy kind of gets to it. The best, the best teachers limit their knowledge in order to help their students grow. I had a, I had a statistics teacher in college. Uh, it was uh, psychology, psychological statistics or something like that. And uh, this teacher had her Ph.D., in mathematics and she would come into the room and she would just like set her books down and start just talking about statistics and and all like the nursing and the psychology majors are like I, I have no idea what what she's talking about <laughs> so she was also the kind of teacher that she kind of lived in that in that um, you know intellectual realm and uh, because she was up there so much she didn't really have a grasp on time so she'd be like set 10 minutes late often and so the teacher's assistant would come in and be like okay guys all right, before the professor gets here, what do you need to know? How can I help you? I know that we talked about a whole bunch of things, but, but let me break it down for you. Let me help you. 
uh, let me help you gra grasp these concepts. I was very thankful for that teacher's assistance. I said, thank you so much. <laughs> but I think, I think this is what it is, is that uh, the reason I bring that up is that, is that that teacher, if she, she had so much knowledge, she had so much uh, ability to, to, to teach us, but, but because she decided to kind of live up here, we weren't getting these basic concepts. And so you think about, you think about how God came and, and came near to us, the God of the universe, with great understanding and great wisdom and great power and great knowledge, came in the form of Jesus as a baby. And he lived out in a way to help us understand what it's like to walk with him. And he challenges us to come alongside the weak and the broken. He comes along, he challenges us to use what he's given us, the rights and the freedoms that he's given us for a particular purpose. Not just to build our own lives, but to build up the church. So if you have a freedom, if you have the ability to choose which political party to vote for, lay down that at the foot of the cross and pursue righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit amongst believers. Now again, I will say that I think we have to be wise and we have to be uh, prudent about the way that we cast our vote. But I also will say that there are people who are who love the Lord and who study His Word and have surprisingly different opinions about which way to cast your vote. And so we have got to be a people of God who pursue righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit above even our differences. So I'll end with this. Are we partnering with the Spirit to cultivate a place of righteousness and peace and joy? Are we using what God has given us, the resources that, that He puts in our hands, to move toward that, to building the kingdom of God? I think about part of that is to saturate um, opportunity to reach to reach others who don't know who who are still dead in their trespasses and sins to to be to have that opportunity to be made alive in Christ to preach the gospel, but then also to be the type of community that the world looks at and says, "Whoa, there's some differences there, but there's something that's unifying them above and beyond those differences." And that's Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God actively works toward this unity. 